You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. One of the most significant figures in the history of Christian missions, believe it or not, is a freed Georgia slave named George Lyle. Even though William Carey may be called the father of the modern missionary movement, George Lyle left America and planted the gospel in Jamaica a full 10 years before Carey even left England. George Lyle came to Christ in 1773 at the age of 23 years old. He was baptized by his white pastor, Matthew Moore. It's a good name. Sometime after Lyle's conversion, his owner, Henry Sharp, who was a Baptist deacon, gave Lyle his freedom so he could pursue God's call. Lyle preached for two years in the slave quarters of plantations surrounding Savannah and into South Carolina after his conversion. Because of his faithfulness and powerful preaching of the word, many surrendered their lives to Christ. George Lyle was ordained in May 20th, 1775. If you know of anything about history, think about how significant this was for an African-American man to be ordained in this time period in our history. Becoming the first ordained African-American Baptist preacher in America. After his ordination, he planted the first African-American Baptist Church in North America, a church still in existence today. That's on my bucket list to visit now. In 1778, Henry Sharp was killed in the Revolutionary War. After his death, Sharp's heirs took steps to re-enslave Lyle. As a result of their actions, Lyle was thrown in jail. Eventually, he was able to produce proper documentation concerning his freedom and was set free. Befriended, uh, soon after his release, Moses Kirkland, a colonel of the British Army, befriended Lyle and helped him leave the country. Kirkland helped pay for Lyle's trip to Jamaica, and after two years, Lyle paid his debt and obtained a certificate of freedom for himself and his family. George and his wife Hannah and their four children left Savannah and landed in Kingston, Jamaica in 1782. When Lyle landed in Jamaica, it was a British colony. There Lyle found land and a people who needed a missionary. Slaves were brought from Africa to Jamaica to work on the sugar plantations. These men and women had no real knowledge of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Lyle planted a church and held a baptism service every three months. These baptisms were public events in which professing converts were baptized in either a nearby ocean or the river. The work of the church and the public baptisms caused persecution. Eventually, Lyle was charged with preaching sedition and was thrown into prison. He was later acquitted of these charges. Despite facing these hostilities during the eight years of preaching, he was able to baptize 500 people and establish a strong church. Not only did Lyle's ministry lead to a spiritual impact on the island, but his work also made a social difference for the Jamaican slaves. By July 31st, 1838, slavery was eradicated in Jamaica. George Lyle did not give up. In spite of many opportunities in his life to do so, in spite of many setbacks, in spite of everything in almost the whole world being against him, 
being a Christian, being an African-American man, he did not give up. That is the title of our message today. Therefore, we do not give up. Would you stand with me if you're willing and able? Let's read our passage this morning together. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Read this with me if you would. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. You may be seated. Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, gives us three peculiar comparisons or contrasts here. The first one being, part of us is being destroyed, and part of us is being renewed, and at the same time. Then he says, there's a current affliction that's going on, and that current affliction, that suffering, that hardship, equals an incomparable eternal weight of glory for our future. Like, man, Paul's off his rocker if, it, if, you, <laughs> if you ask me. And then he goes on one more time and says, what is visible is temporary, and what is invisible is eternal. So let's proceed into these. Let's, let's dig into this and see what Paul's really saying here. Because at face value, that doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe it does you. Um, but let's move on and, and jump into this. In verse, six, verse 16, Therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day, destroyed and renewed at the same time. Now one quick observation here is this. When you see therefore in the Bible, does anybody know what we should do with that? That's right. See what it's there for. Why is this here? What is it there for? consequently is another way of saying it, another English word we might use. In other words, what happened before it? What is leading up to this? And so we're going to go over that, what happened to it before it. But first, I want to explain to you the difference of the outer person and the inner person that Paul is talking about here, just to make sure we're all on the same page. In this context, in this context of Scripture, specifically the outer person is reflecting our physical earthly body. Okay? The outer person is being destroyed. The New Living Translation even translates it as our body when it says outer person. It is this that Paul says is being destroyed. It is temporary. Okay? It is a temporary dwelling that our souls, our spirits, live in. Now, unless you're under the age of 21, we all know for a fact that this physical body, (laughs) every day, gets a little less agile a little less energetic, (laughs) a little less pain-free, right? Okay, we're all in agreement of that. If you're under 21, you're like, meh, someday you'll know. Right, Colin? (laughs) He's out. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) See, his body is being destroyed. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) 
too much fun around here, man. It doesn't pay to sit on the front row and conk on me and you'd be like 14, right? <laughs> now, if you're over 50, I have grace. <laughs> All right, sorry, I got to get back into this. They're just having too much fun this morning. The inner person is our soul, is our spirit. I was alluding to that a minute ago. Uh, that which God is most concerned with, right? And there's lots of scripture references there that we can look up and see that, that that's the part that God's most concerned with, what's going on. Does it mean we neglect the temples that God gives us? Not at all. We need to be a good steward of it. It's a gift that he gave us in order to serve him, to love him, love others. So we want it to be healthy, as healthy as it can be, right? We want to make right lifestyle choices so we can serve well. But God sees the inside. And that's what his concern is with. So half of the therefore we do not give up has to do with our outer person. All right. So we're going to kind of skip back through the previous verses starting in verse 8 and see what these therefores are of the outer person that Paul is saying is being destroyed. In verse 8 it says we are afflicted. We're perplexed. We are persecuted. We're struck down in verse 9. These are physical and psychological sufferings. These are physical and psychological afflictions that we can face and go through. And the reason why this is happening to our outer person is for two reasons. According to Romans 8, verses 20 through 23, there's a fallen man and then a fallen nature. Okay? The fallen man occurred because of sin and of disobedience to God. And you can flip all the way back to Genesis 3 to see that. And that's where sin entered. And that began. Our fallen nature, the fallen creation, a world that's in a constant state of death and decay and downward spiral, spiral so to speak, is also occurred in that time. It's why we have weeds and turmoil and, and things like that going on. That's when sin entered the world as well. At that time, God put a clock on everything living. He put a clock on it. There's a clock on our lives. The day we're born, there's a clock. There's an end date. There's an expiration date. Okay, there's an expiration date on our animals. There's an expiration date on the trees and the grass and, and different things. There's a clock on it. This is happening irregardless of whether or not we choose to follow Christ or not. So if you are in the room this morning and you don't have that personal relationship with Christ, listen, this is your future, period. This is your future, period. However, but when we choose to follow Christ, then we get to take advantage of this other side of this peculiar comparison, the renewing of our inner person. Paul elsewhere in Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us this, that all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Brian shared with us last week about how to follow Christ is meaning to take up your cross, or the illustration he used was to take up your electric chair. And it's not a, it's not a place of being irregardless or irresponsible with our lives. But... It is a surrendering of our life and our will and submitting it to God's. Josh Manning last Sunday told us a couple of stories about here in our neighboring community in Knoll of Muslims who chose to follow Christ. 
and the persecution that they received to where some of them had to literally flee Noel in fear of their life because of that. Twelve minutes away or less. If they wanted to have any relationship with the church, they had to sneak in. Or even to be seen with Josh in town. Couldn't do it. And this is times 10 in places around the world. It's countercultural to what we're being told here. We're being told here to pursue life so we can be comfortable, to pursue wealth and prosperity and, and career and status so that life can be easier, as opposed to a life of surrendering and sacrifice. So the other half of the therefore we do not give up is, has to do with our inner person and it's being renewed day by day. One point I want to make before looking at the previous verses again about the renewal part and that is renewed day by day is in here for a reason. It's not a one and done thing. We need this ongoing consistently, intentionally going on. I mean, we're worse than your cell phone with the bad battery, right? You get 30 minutes out of it before you got to put it, plug it back in. That's us even worse. We have got to be renewed day by day. I mean, in our fast-paced society and culture, I think we could also take that and say, hey, maybe every five minutes, I know I have days like that. So, the other half of the therefores we do not give up, starting in verse 7. The source of our renewal and an extraordinary power from God, our treasure, referencing our physical bodies as jars of clay, as fragile, as temporary. A jar of clay, unless you preserve it specifically in a special way, left unto itself will just crack out, dry out, fall apart. They're very temporary. And that's how we're referenced as. Scripture also says we're like, a tr- we're like grass that withers and fades. Man, we have some summer days where grass can pop up green and lush, and by the end of the day, it's, it's already gone. But our treasure is inside us, the source of us, inside that pot of clay that's fragile and temporary, and that's Jesus when we believe in him. Verse 8, we are not crushed. We're not in despair. We are not abandoned. We are not destroyed. But you know who was? For our sake and our place, when we deserved it, Jesus Christ. And then let me just read verses 10 through 11 to you. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. It's a constant surrendering of our will 
and our desires of the flesh that still wage war against us so that Christ might be displayed, so that his life might be in us and flow through us, especially to those around us. You see, if we live this life thinking it's only about what happens inside the four walls of our home, we are greatly mistaken. We are greatly mistaken. You are a treasured work of art that Christ went to the cross for. A masterpiece sitting in a storage unit in the back that's never opened if you stay only in your home and never seek out opportunities, relationships where you can love other people. What a waste. A priceless masterpiece worth the Son of God going to the cross for. Let me express this through a prayer written by Scotty Smith, who's a pastor. I think, Tony, you know him personally. He begins by reading Philippians 3, verse 7. And feel free to pray this as I read it. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. And Scotty then prays, Lord Jesus, as I meditate on the Apostle Paul's words, I smell the aroma of a free man, a joyful man, and a grace man. A man I want to become more like. Things he once treasured became Paul's garbage. Old stuff that used to consume him no longer even amused him. Enjoying an intimate and robust relationship with you means more to Paul than any other competing currency or treasure. And he continues in verse 9, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. He continues praying, though I'm not as free as Paul, I am as justified as he is. For I too can say with humility and uber joy that you are my righteousness. I don't trust in doing good stuff or not doing bad stuff for my acceptance with God, not in my tears or my sincerity, not on my service or my repentance, not in my giving or my striving. In verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Can we pray that with all sincerity? To suffer with Christ? Do we want to know him that much? Do we love him that much? We say, yes, sign me up. I want to suffer with him. Scotty concludes his prayer. That is why I can say with Paul, I want to know you better and better, Jesus. More deeply and fully, spilling over into a life of living to your glory. So grant me the power of the Spirit to love well, to love holiness, people, and my community. And grant me a greater willingness to suffer with you, Jesus. Give me your heart 
your tears and compassion for the broken people and the broken places in our world. In your lovely and loving name, amen. And see, our inner person is renewed day by day through the power of Christ, the same power that raised him from the dead, working in our lives. And that happens as we respond to him through prayer and our time in the word. That's how we plug in and recharge. If you leave your Bible on the shelf, if you neglect times and opportunities of praying, you will not be renewed. Now, I would wager that all of us have a desire to be renewed. Nobody wants to wake up and feel like junk (laughs) or worn out. We're exhausted. We don't want to live that way. We, a lot of us will take a lot of great strides in, in eating super healthy and exercising and caffeine and <laughs> lots of other things. So we have this feeling of being renewed. When the source of it is here, this Christ. Through Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. Through Christ, God does not count our sins against us. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.19. And then in verse 12 of our, of our first 2 Corinthians 4, Jesus' life at work in us, the mighty power of God who raised Jesus from the dead, Philippians 3.10. We will be raised with Jesus. And we see that in verse 14. And as grace extends through the spread of the gospel, by us. He chooses to use us. Like Gary said, we get to be a part of it. Thanksgiving will increase. Some of the most joyful and happy believers I've ever met are the ones that have the little, most least amount of things materially and experience the most persecution. Straight up. They're some of the happiest believers I've ever met. If you want to pursue happiness, pursue Christ. It's in him where we find it and experience it. Therefore, we do not give up. Faith in Jesus Christ, his redemptive transforming work in our lives because of his incalculable sacrifice of taking our place for the punishment of our disobedience to God. Paul then goes on to have the audacity to claim that the innocent and righteous affliction, this affliction that we're receiving, not because we've made a dumb choice, we've caused it on ourselves, all right? We made a really bad choice and our car ended up in Mexico, right? Like Khalif said, that's, that's not an affliction we're talking about here. <laughs> you made that choice, sorry. <laughs> God's gracious enough to help you learn through that. But that one's on us, right? But it's the innocent and the righteous affliction, the, the what happens to us that we don't have control or say over, or what is done to us or what we experience because we are following Christ with our whole heart. He has the audacity to say that it's light 
and easy. Now, Paul, I don't know what you're making those tents with, but you need to cut back on the chemical piece, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> light affliction? I'm sorry. Cancer is not a light affliction. I'm sorry what our brothers and sisters in Noel who accepted Christ and converted from Islam is not light affliction in my book, right? Well, the reason why Paul can say this is because it's in comparison to something eternally greater. Eternally greater. The infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord, as it says in Philippians 3.8. Second, it's in comparison to what is also ahead of him yet in his future. An incomparable eternal weight. Hebrews even tells us that Christ despised the shame, endured the cross for the joy set before him. Don't miss this. Verse 17. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Eternal weight of glory. Light affliction. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Do we, we can say it, we can nod our heads, but when we get up tomorrow morning, is that what we believe? When we have a January that feels like it lasts a year? When the bank account's in the negative? When no matter what we do or say, we just can't seem to feel like we're pleasing our spouse. When we have kids that just... (laughs) You know? (laughs) Do we believe that in those moments? If we were to put this into an an equation, we could put it like this. Affliction equals incomparable eternal weight of glory. Light affliction is producing an incomparable eternal weight of glory when we go through it with the right perspective and the right heart. And there's an equal sign on purpose. Any mathematicians in the room, what does equals mean? It's not if then, it's you have this and this. They go together. They go together. And the only way we can have this type of affliction is by loving God and loving others and making disciples of Christ. See, when we love God, we are surrendering ourselves, which is against the world and what the world would have and desire for us. So there was going to be affliction and conflict. When we love other people, you're a sinner, they're a sinner, hopefully both saved by grace, there's going to be affliction. Am I right? There's going to be conflict. But by pursuing it as an incomparable eternal weight of glory, 
how much easier will it be to humbly respond to our spouse? How much more would it be easier to humbly ease off on your own opinions? Are these really kingdom issues that I have such an issue with? Yeah, the verse said, light affliction. No one would tell a woman in the middle of labor that what she's going through, this is light affliction. And guys, don't tell her this if you've yet to have a spouse go through this. Young men, if your wife, you have a wife someday, she gets pregnant, you get to have a baby. Don't tell her this, okay? You literally could lose your life. I'm just... And it would be deserved. It would be justified. There'd be no jury that would convict her. Okay? It is not a light momentary affliction in our eyes and where we're at. Not downplaying the effect of going through hard things. And neither is Paul. But what we are, what he is saying, what I'm trying to communicate and believe myself as I preach through this is in comparison to eternity. Okay? In comparison. He's not saying that affliction isn't difficult. He's not saying that being perplexed isn't frustrating. He's not saying that persecution won't be painful. He's not saying that when we're struck down, it isn't stressful. But when we compare it to eternity in the presence of of God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ the Son. It's like a feather. It's like that fuzzy stuck on your shirt that you don't even know is there until somebody points it out. It's an incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Paul's final upside-down, peculiar comparison is this. What is visible is temporary. What is invisible is eternal. Verse 18, So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is... Sorry, what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And I love what the word focus here means in the original Greek. It means to take aim at a mark with the intention of hitting it. Take aim at a mark with the intention of hitting it. That is our focus. That is our focus on what we need to be aiming at. Are you following me? Are you with me in this? Do we get up in the morning with the intention and the aim of hitting this mark? Are we wallowing in the affliction? Are we going to our source of hope and renewal? Jesus Christ through prayer and His Word? Are we trying to drown it out with substance abuse and entertainment and media and career and people?
What is unseen, that is what is eternal. Later in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church of Corinth and tells us today, chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And our world would tell us seeing is believing. I can tell you this, as you put your faith in Christ, as you believe in Him, as you wake up in the morning and go throughout your day with the intention, with the aim and the focus of hitting the mark, of shooting for that eternal, incomparable weight of glory, what you don't see, you will begin to. May not be with our physical eyes that are wasting away, but with the eyes of our heart and our soul of our inner person. It will become very clear and very visible. Three peculiar comparisons destroyed and renewed. Affliction equals incomparable eternal weight. What is visible is temporary, what is invisible is eternal. What will it take to tip the scales in our hearts, in our inner person, that we believe this to the point of surrendering our life to the one who truly loves us, who desires to be in an eternal relationship with us? What will it take to tip the scales? We wake up in the morning with this, the first thought in our hearts and our minds. Therefore, we do not give up. Father, thank you. Lord, sometimes it seems impossible to accomplish what you have set before us, as that can be the temptation of understanding this passage this morning. And at the same time, Lord, you've already accomplished the impossible on our behalf. You are not asking us to do this without aid or help or grace or love or mercy. You have provided that. You have initiated that for us. Instead, instead, Lord, of us trying to satisfy the desires of the outer person that's being destroyed day by day, that's withering away and fading instead of living our lives for what is temporary, what the world is throwing at us over 5,000 messages a day through advertisements. and Lord, let us instead quiet our hearts and our minds and focus in. Focus in on the bullseye of the target, Lord. Steady our breathing. Clear our vision. Steady our hand. as we set to hit the target, Lord, of plugging into you. You being our source, our provider, our creator. That we would keep eternity in mind. That incomparable, eternal weight of glory, not the temporary light and affliction. So Father, as we have the chance and the opportunity as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of you to celebrate in communion.
of remembering your sacrifice, your initiation of love on a scale that we can't even start to understand, but that hopefully we would always kneel in awe of your sacrifice on the cross of taking on the wrath that we so deserve for our sin, our disobedience of God. Let it be honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. Let it, let it tune our hearts back in to beat with yours. In your name, amen. Amen.